Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 178. Today's episode is all about working from home, the mindset on how to thrive. If two twin sisters are pushing rocks up a hill, but one is pushing up rocks and the other one is building a cathedral. The second one is has the same weight of rock that they're pushing, but because of their perspective relative to the rock and the thing that they're creating, all of a sudden the rock doesn't feel quite as heavy, even though it is. But the other person who's lamenting and frustrated and feeling like a victim to the weight and the chore that they have to do to push the rock up the hill, it's gonna feel disproportionately heavier when it's not actually heavier. And, and that's the rub. It turns out that if we can orient ourselves to the task at hand, even if it's unpredictable, in a way that's not just positive, but actually constructive, then you can actually lighten the load and get more done. And if you're competing against other people in the process, you can actually have a competitive advantage. It's almost unfair just by changing your mindset. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, love. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to hit that little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews are the best way to give back if you find the show helpful. They help the show grow, which helps me get even better guests. Today, I want to read a review from Maturity Rules that totally pulled at my heartstrings. She says, I've listened to this podcast at different times in my life. I started when I was deeply depressed, and it gave me a compassionate perspective and a sense of community. The topics also gave my mind something to think about other than my own depression. Now that I'm feeling better, I still find great value in the content. It's ultimately about up-leveling your thoughts, feelings, perspectives, and a sense of personal responsibility so you can be a more optimal human. I applaud Melissa Monti for her curiosity, humility, and tenacity. This podcast will leave a legacy like no other. Thank you, Melissa. Well, thank you so much. I actually teared up when I read this review, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Two years ago, when I would tell people I work from home, most people responded with something like, oh my God, you're so lucky. I wish I could do that. But now it seems like a lot of people are thinking, careful what you wish for. So what's changed? Maybe the grass really is always greener on the other side. Or maybe it's not as glamorous as people pictured it to be. Or maybe they thought it would give them more freedom, but in our current state of affairs, it's basically the opposite. I think, though, that it's just a little harder than people thought it would be. It's hard to hold yourself accountable sometimes. It's hard to avoid distractions, especially with a partner or little ones in the home with you. It's hard to stay motivated without the collective energy of everyone around you working towards the same goal. It's hard to go day in and day out without seeing new people. It's hard. It really is. Or I should say, it really can be. I have been working from home for years, and even I've struggled this year more than other years. Before March of 2020, I had a whole system. I worked from home most days, but when I needed to get writing done, I'd walk to the coffee shop and order an oat milk latte and work by the window. 
when I needed to do web work, I'd walk to WeWork, my co-working space, and I'd make a tea and work in the common area. Then if I was recording or doing interviews or things that I needed my big monitor, I'd do all those things at home. Changing up my environment kept me feeling fresh, like I was always moving forward. And then that whole routine was just no longer available. So I went through all the ups and downs of transitioning. Not knowing how long all of this would last felt like I was waiting for something. So it was kind of tempting to just put my goals on hold until we knew more. Well, as we all know, we are still waiting, <laughs> especially here in California. But one thing we do know is for a lot of us, these changes aren't temporary. 2020 has likely changed the way we work in general. Companies are realizing that they could cut some overhead by allowing people to work from home. They've already been forced to adjust their processes to allow remote work. So now that the work is done, why go back? So what I'm saying is, if you're waiting for your office to open back up, you might be waiting a while. Or forever. And one thing I've learned about life is that waiting for things to happen usually leads to some sort of pain. Maybe anxiety, maybe procrastination, or hopelessness, or failed expectations. Even when I am anticipating something in the future, I know that the best thing that I can do is make the best of what's happening right now in this moment. And there are a lot of positives of working from home. It doesn't mean the negatives don't exist. It just means that whatever you're focusing on is what you're going to feel. And what you feel is what you're going to get more of. Isn't it nice not having to commute? Or to be able to make exactly what you want for lunch? Or to be able to take a break to meditate or spend more time with your kids? There is more freedom in working from home. But if you're not feeling that freedom you're probably just not setting yourself up for it. Let me explain. When I get caught in the negative spirals of working from home, I end up getting too distracted throughout the day. I beat myself up for not getting more done, and then I punish myself by saying no to things that I really want to do because I feel like I have to use my night time to make up for what I didn't do during the day. And then often, I still don't even get those things done at all. So I end the day feeling like I didn't get enough done and then feeling incompetent or like something's wrong with me because I couldn't just do what I know I needed to do. And then it starts again the next day. And I promise myself I'll do better, but feel even worse because now I've gone and broke a promise to myself. Sound familiar? Well, today we're tackling all of this. And our guest is Dane Sanders. Dane is the CEO of TellMeYourDreams.com, which is a performance coaching company that motivates employees to give their best, and it's designed specifically to keep remote teams connected. He also teaches, writes, and consults on habits and human flourishing. And he has a free course that was featured by Forbes, all on how to not only work from home successfully, but how to really appreciate that you have the opportunity to do so. So three key things we will learn are how to frame your habits to make working from home a blessing, what habits we need to cultivate to thrive working from home, and how to structure your day in a way that works for you. But before we dive in, I want to remind you to sign up for the Morning Mind Love. This isn't just some boring marketing newsletter. Instead, every weekday morning, you get a short note to inspire you for the day. Think of it like a little love letter from your highest self. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of self-reflective journaling prompts to help you grow. And it's all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. 
And now let's welcome Dane Sanders to the show. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about you and how did you start helping people really understand how to thrive while working remotely? Yeah, well, my background, I can give you the 30-second drill. My undergraduate work was in marketing, and I felt like when I was finished my degree, I had learned how to manipulate people to buy things they didn't want or need, and I felt really gross about it. So I did the natural thing and went to grad school and studied philosophy, which was a recipe for unemployment or teaching, and I ended up teaching. And in my teaching, I taught leadership and character development, and this is kind of a a winding way to get to your answer. When I was teaching that at a liberal arts college up in Santa Barbara, I got introduced to someone who I'm guessing is pretty familiar to you and to your listeners, a guy named Seth Godin. And uh, Seth really helped me reframe what marketing was, that marketing could actually be a mechanism for change and that you could do it ethically. And and what happened was I, uh, on the side, I picked up a camera and I was I became a professional photographer for about 12 years and I d- had to market my services I ended up writing a handful of books that were, uh, I self-published my first book and then I got picked up by Random House and did a two book deal with them and was the traveler speaker guy. So I had this very eclectic background between education, entrepreneurship, and trying to find my way forward. But in all these efforts, I found myself working from home a lot. I learned the skill of how do you cobble together an existence when you want to keep your expenses low, but you also have a high degree of responsibility to, you know, own and run a business or even in helping other organizations succeed with their businesses. Well, fast forward, I'm now CEO of tellmeyourdream.com and tell me uh, we help companies. It's a B2B operation primarily. Uh, we help companies help employees really fall in love with work. So they are more engaged and they end up staying there longer and they love their culture and so forth. But then, um, this past year, as everyone knows, we had a bit of a disruption. And as a result, our B2B deal flow paused. And our my thought was, well, there's a lot of people right now who have been forced to work from home and the complexity of their lives is significant. So I thought, why not take all of the intel that we had collected over the years and we're working out in the context of people's lives, uh, employees at companies and so forth. Why not tried to do that same effort, but with consumers. So we started this little course called How to Win at Working From Home, offered it to about 40 people, totally a modest effort. But then uh, Forbes magazine got wind of what we we're doing and they did a feature on us and we went from 40 to 400 in about 48 hours. And then by the time the course was completed, we had over 800 people who were signed up for the course. And it was just a big reveal that there was a lot of people who were now navigating a very complex reality and they were trying to, you know, navigate, you know, rugrats running around their home and they were trying to figure out how do they make their home and their work and the unpredictability of COVID, just the unpredictability of life, all work. And those kinds of complex systems require a lot of thought, a lot of intention, a lot of presence. And uh, those were all kind of areas that we had expertise with at Tell Me Your Dreams. Uh, I, I didn't mention this. We also kind of, at TMYD, we hire therapists and train them in our coaching modality, and they're the ones who coach employees at work. And um, what's fun about that is we get to kind of smuggle in proactive mental health in the workplace through helping employees achieve their dreams. So we had access to all these resources with our team, 
and my own experience having, you know, been an independent freelancer for many years and having navigated being married and having four kids and trying to make work from home work. And, and in that space, I've become a bit of a habit freak. I, I spend a lot of my energy regimenting my life so that I can flourish as a person. And really that's the overall mission of TMYD. And it's my own personal mission is how do you help people not just survive in life, but thrive in life. And it turns out that a lot of that comes from people's intention and how they orchestrate their day and really how they anticipate challenges that are going to come their way, whether they know what those challenges are or not. And, but they've anticipated them and in anticipating them, they've readied themselves to not get taken out by the obstacle that's come their way, but actually harness that energy's obstacle or the obstacle's energy so that they can actually flourish. Well, until now, it seems like I remember I used to have conversations with people because I've been working from home for quite some time. And yeah. the amount of people that would say, yeah, I am just not the type of person that can work from home. And now all of those people, well, many of those people are kind of forced into that situation. So do you hold the belief that working from home is for certain people and other people are kind of destined to go downhill in this process? Or do you think it's something that anyone can really cultivate to in order to thrive in that environment? Yeah, it's a great question. I, my view is it's a skill set. And like any skill, uh, you can be bad at the skill or good at the skill. Some people are naturally talented towards those skills or they're practiced. Like in your situation, they've had a lot of experience with it. And even if it's not natural to you, you probably learned how to navigate it. But ultimately, it's it's a learnable skill. And if it comes easy, great. If it doesn't, like for a lot of people, you can decide that you will get good at it. <laughs> but it turns out that a big uh, obstacle for people has nothing to do with talent or skill, it, except to say it's the talent and skill of their, their mindset, how they are relating with this unpredictable reality that's entered into their life. And if they're relating to it, like say they're a victim, then they're going to have a real hard time with it. But if they're relating to it, like it's, an opportunity or a, pop, a chance to grow, they can really take off. Does that make sense though, in terms of, of the mindset bit that if, if I'm relating with something like this is an opportunity, that's great. But if I'm relating with this, like it's a chore, well then it's going to be really burdensome. One metaphor I use all the time is we talk about, you know, if two people, two individuals, let's, let's call them twin sisters, if two twin sisters are pushing rocks up a hill, but one is pushing up rocks and the other one is building a cathedral. The second one is has the same weight of rock that they're pushing, but because of their perspective relative to the rock and the thing that they're creating, all of a sudden the rock doesn't feel quite as heavy, even though it is. But the other person who's lamenting and frustrated and feeling like a victim to the weight and the chore that they have to do to push the rock up the hill, it's gonna feel disproportionately heavier when it's not actually heavier. And, and that's the rub. It turns out that if we can orient ourselves to the task at hand, even if it's unpredictable, in a way that's not just positive, but actually constructive, then you can actually lighten the load and get more done. And if you're competing against other people in the process, you can actually have a competitive advantage that's almost unfair just by changing your mindset. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. 
Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. That makes perfect sense. I mean, even just observing everything that's gone on in the last year, it makes it even more clear to me that we can all be collectively experiencing the same thing in almost, it seems like different realms. Like one person is elected to president as president. And some people think it's the best thing ever. Other people think it's the worst thing ever. And they're both experiencing that in the way that they're holding up the experience in their minds. So if If you are somebody that happens to look at this as you're a victim, what are some of those first steps to changing your mindset around working from home so that you can step into your power a little bit more? Yeah. So we have, we have eight of them that we go over in the course. And if if you're comfortable, I'm happy to share them with you and your listeners. And I I think the concepts are not called, it's literally a single sentence with eight ideas in it, but it's the implementation of these ideas that that actually, that's where all the gold is. So the, the overall sentence, I'll read the whole sentence at once and then I'll go through it uh, briefly. But the sentence is, what if I get to choose my role, fuel first, travel light, prioritize profit, correct course, play infinite, and stand now? So again, get to, choose my role, fuel first, travel light, prioritize profit, correct course, play infinite, and stand now. These are all what I would call critical mindsets that are required to put yourself in the best possible position to deal with the challenges that come our way that are unpredictable. Most people live their life with this unconscious expectation that the way life is supposed to go is it's supposed to be sunny outside and warm, but not too warm, with the sun and wind at our back and business coming our way, and profits, and our kids are just a little above average, and everybody wins. And that's not how the world is. That's the exception to the rule. I would argue that what's normal is clouds and storms and flat tires and bad news from the doctor. And I'm not saying all those things because I'm pessimistic. I'm actually pretty optimistic. But I'm realistic in that if you look at history and the human condition, The things I'm describing are far more normative and predictable than not. 
And if you know that those things are coming, wouldn't it make sense to get ready for it? And the way to get ready for it, in my view, are these eight mindsets. So the first one is just get to. It's not complicated. If everything I related to was a get to as opposed to a have to, I'm already way in front than most humans in the world. I preset myself as an anti-victim and more into com more of like a hero posture. If I'm approaching it like this is an opportunity, not a chore. So I get to choose my role is it turns out that in every great narrative, every great story, there are plenty of roles for any of us to pick. Kind of like in junior high, you know, there was the popular kids, that was a role. There was the loner, that was a role. There was the jock, that was a role. And they're all roles in this kind of stage of life. And I like to break it down to more archetypical roles. Like you can be the hero, you can be the victim, you can be the guide, you can mm -hmm. be the villain. You can even be a rescuer and the rescuer actually are kind of like villains. They just look like they pretend to be guides, but really they're villains. But the point is any of these roles, as you look into them, it turns out they're just a choice. I can choose to be a victim in a situation or I can choose to actually be a hero in a situation. And oftentimes the hero in any story starts off as a victim and then they turn a corner and they usually turn a corner because they met a guide and the guide helped them get to where they want to go. So choosing your role is a conscious act that you can parlay with getting to. If I get to choose my role, man, I'm already in a position of power. And all these things start building off each other. And then, of course, like fueling first, the idea of filling your gas tank before you start your day, as opposed to running on empty all day and trying to fuel up at the end to get relief. That's not a good way to live. A great way to live is to fuel first. Traveling light is kind of an, an ode to minimalism. How can I actually have everything I need and no more? and consciously remove extra weight out of my backpack metaphorically. And when I do that, when, when challenges come my way, I'm less likely to be encumbered by it. Prioritizing profit is just the effort to put things in my life that I'm confident will give me a return on my investment. Correcting course is the assumption that I'm always off course. I'm always a little bit not where I'm supposed to be. But if I'm conscious, I can constantly tweak my position but the problem is most people are asleep at the wheel. Playing infinite is the idea that if I, we're all playing a game, most people are playing finite games where they're playing to win, where there's winners and losers, but uh, playing infinite, and Simon Sinek's written a book about this, there's this great academic at New York University who's written a book before Simon did, but the idea is simply the infinite game is one where you're not playing to win, you're playing to keep playing. So you make investments for the long term around your process for doing life. You're, you're playing a different, fundamentally different game than most other people are. And then when you are playing it, you win by playing another day, whereas other people are just trying to have these short-term games that ultimately don't satisfy. And then finally, standing now is this attitude of the action is today. The action is this present moment. The action is not historic. I don't need to get lost in the past. And the action isn't even in the future. That's just an ambition. Really, it's this moment right now. What committed process am I onto that I can make it all work? So you put all that together and you talk about it as a community over the course of a number of weeks and you get this kind of mantra that helps people navigate the everydayness of life. They get to choose a role, fuel first, travel light, prioritize profit, correct course, play infinite, and stand now. So that's a mouthful. Oh, I love it. And I want to break these down a little bit. So I'm going to go yeah. back to the first one. 
Yeah. What are some of your tips in shifting your perspective to that get to? Is it just reminding yourself to be grateful? Do you have specific practices? For me, one thing I've been doing, I moved to a new town. It's been snowy. I'm pregnant. So <laughs> I would notice myself slipping. <laughs> Thanks. But I notice myself slipping into that victim mentality because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so hard to layer clothes over this belly. And mm. it's cold outside and I can't snowboard. Why did we move here this year? Even though my mindset when I was moving here was, you know what? Everything's closed down in LA. Let's move to the mountains where we have nature. And so it was this clear shift of, of this mindset. And I noticed myself spiraling down. And so every morning I've been starting with a little kind of mantra slash prayer where I just start the day where I say, thank you for this brand new opportunity to enjoy life. I want my day to unfold with ease. I want good things to come my way. I want to remember to appreciate people, places, and things. I want to be good to myself and others. I want to remember at all times that all things are possible. And then I give blessings. I send blessings out because I just feel like that ups my energy. And it really did start changing the way that I viewed each day, you know, start with meditation and then really looking at the day as an opportunity to enjoy life changes the way that I show up to my work. It shows that changes the way that I accept the challenges that come my way. And so I'm curious, what are some of your practices that help you shift that mindset? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I love your approach. My own personality is one where I probably have a bias towards uh, melancholy for years, I would wake up just kind of in a fog of decision. Like, what do I do right now? I don't think I was necessarily depressed, but I honestly overwhelmed with all the different things that I could go do. And I found that if I didn't bring some structure to how I started every single day and did it the same way almost every day, I would just kind of get lost in my head. And it sounds a little bit of what I'm hearing you describe, Melissa, is that that, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that was happening and that you just kind of got a hold of yourself, established routine. I mean, I have, I have one that um, you're much more gentle with you yourself, which I think is really smart as a mom. <laughs> uh, but I engage in a lot of, it's going to sound so funny, voluntary discomfort. And, you know, who wants to sign up for that? Like, that's the worst. But here's why I like, I like voluntary discomfort. And it's not like terrible discomfort. It's actually incredibly empowering. But what it is, is it's a choice to say, look, I'm going to start my day like I wake up, I get out of bed right away, I turn off my little, I track everything. I have these little wearable devices and I, I track my sleep and how I'm doing. And after I turn that off, before I get to go to the restroom, I have to floss my teeth. Now, who wants to floss their teeth before they go to the restroom when they wake up? Especially if your baby is sitting on your bladder. Like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. If you decide the reward for flossing your teeth, and if let's say flossing your teeth is important to you, if you say, I'm going to at least get floss in my hand before I go sit down in the toilet and I'll floss while I'm sitting, you will never, ever miss a day of flossing your teeth again in your life because I guarantee you're going to go to the restroom. So if you just like lock in a habit in advance of that moment, you've now, before you've even started your day, you've won. You're already in this position where I did the thing I didn't want to necessarily do, but I I located that thing in a habit stacking kind of way with a nod to James Clear. But the idea that if I could frame it up that way, I'm going to get a return before I even get started. So I do things like that. I floss my teeth before I pee. Uh, I stretch as soon as I wake up. Um, it's the first thing I do. I have my clothes laid out from the night before. I'm usually up at 520 on the dot. I meet my buddies to work out at 6 a.m. 
we work out in a parking lot. We have a, a storage container, a massive storage container full of rogue weights, and we CrossFit workout six days a week. I'm 51 years old in a week, and I'm I'm fitter than most of the guys who are 20s and 30s. And it's not, I'm not saying that as a brag. I'm saying that because it's possible. Like even someone like me could get into that position. And but it, it came at the cost of like some discomforting things. I I hold my breath. I use this do this method called Wim Hof breathing, where you it's not actually not breathing. You breathe really heavy and then you hold your breath um, for an extended period of time. And I can hold my breath for about up to anywhere between three and five minutes, pretty, pretty easy. And those efforts, again, none of them are comfortable exercises, but once they're done, I feel a remarkable sense of like, if I can do those things to start my day, what can't I do when something comes my way? And for me, and I didn't start with these things. I started literally with flossing. That's all I could pull off. But I started flossing added another little thing and added another little thing. And then, you know, five or 10 years later, you have a really rigorous routine where you feel really strong and you feel really awake. And those I think are ways to start my day that give me tremendous life. You sound like my husband and we live where it's snowing. We have like three feet of snow outside right now. And he still starts every day with a cold shower <laughs> Yeah, yeah <laughs> because of Wim Hof actually. Yes, and yeah. he goes in and I can hear him go, Woo-hoo! <laughs> he's like making sounds to get through it. And I'm just laying okay, in bed. Husband, what's your husband's name? What's your husband's name? Shane. Okay. So Shane's already my favorite. So Shane, what Shane is doing in that moment of woohoo, that is, that is an absolute synonym for get to. Mm-hmm. That, and and if you can if you can pair that with uncomfortable an uncomfortable moment, that's when you get a superpower. And and I think that's exactly what I'm describing. It's that it's a rare art. Very few people choose to do it. Most people live their whole life seeking comfort, and then they wonder why when life gets tough they crumble, and because they're not ready for it. But when you you relate with discomfort in a way that opens you up to like this is an adventure. This is a get to. All of a sudden, the whole world turns upside down. It's like you you can see and do things that other people, they're literally scared of. Their body reacts in response to it. And I get that not everybody will choose that or they won't go for like uh, cold showers in the mountains like Shane. But I, I will say that if they chose to do something a little uncomfortable with joy, with a sense of like, what if I were to get something from this? Even just as a test, even go to wimhoffmethod.com and do one of his little challenges. It, it is remarkable the difference it can make in your outlook. I actually covered the Wim Hof Method back in episode nine. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I have found that it's interesting watching my husband because he is very much like you where it's like, okay, well, this is my new habit. And he's, he decided to do this like four years ago and he's been doing it the whole time. And I started with him and then I get to a point where I'm like, well, I don't want to be stuck doing something one way. My number one value is freedom. And so it's been funny to watch the way we both kind of structure our ideal days. And so what I know about myself is that I need to mix things up fairly often. So I'm constantly like reevaluating my current habits or the structure of my day, switching it up to keep it fresh. But I still do need that structure. But I have found that right now I'm very much living in my feminine energy because of being pregnant. And also I was. Yeah. But I will say a couple years ago, I had learned about that balance of masculine and feminine energy. And so I went all to the feminine because I realized for years I'd been living in the masculine, working in startups and pushing myself. And so this feminine energy felt like I was just receiving something totally new. But I found that I needed, after a while, it stopped working for me quite as well. And I needed kind of the kick in the butt, the masculine energy. So I went back to my old habits, started doing cold showers again. And so I have to oscillate between the two to really be my best self. And I find that that really, it feeds that value that I have of freedom, of 
it excites me to be able to work from home and have that ability to change up the way I work my day. Yeah, I think that's the trick, right, is freedom. I think, what do we mean when we say liberty? What do we mean when we say freedom? And I think a lot of folks, whether they're conscious to it or not, what they mean by freedom is they want to do whatever the hell they want, which I get. <laughs> I mean, I really get that. I There's a sense in which that's just human. Who doesn't want who, who doesn't want no limits? You know, let me go wherever I want to go and do whatever I want to do. The bummer part, though, is what we're describing or what you're describing is not that kind of freedom. It's not just access or or the ability to do stuff. It's actually I take it back. It is the ability to do things that other people can't do. It's the ability to do the thing that you want to do. Like what if I wanted to have the freedom to get into cold water? That's a freedom. That's a liberty because a lot of people don't think that's available to them. What, what if I wanted to like, I had a buddy who was like, you know how amazing it is to run as fast as you can for like 50 or 100 yards? Like that is freedom. And there's a lot of human beings right now that can't do that. They are totally locked up in their bodies and their bodies have disqualified them from being able to do the things that they know they would experience more joy in life if they were to get after it. But I think I think that's the part is like freedom comes at a cost. We know that when we talk about like patriotic duty and, you know, and a, a military defending borders and so forth. But freedom comes at a cost individually. And if I want to be truly free, if, if you want to be truly free, if your husband wants to be truly free, then whenever we come up against a limit, then we have to get creative around, well, how do we master that limit? How do we create autonomy and agency? And oftentimes that comes from some kind of a discipline or an effort that you do with consistency over a long period of time. And when you do that, you can, you discover freedoms that are uncommon. I agree completely. I actually totally believe that our limitations are guideposts steering us towards our highest path. And so it's like I used to, I developed, I experienced a good amount of trauma in my early 20s and it just felt like I was being limited or that was my mindset at the time. And I lived in that victim mentality for quite a bit. And yeah. I remember getting out of it in different ways, but I still hadn't fully healed my mindset. I was still working through certain things, making progress and in other things. And I was working for a startup and I had taken on the role of product designer and I remember my boss at the time, I just thought he had the worst aesthetic taste ever. And so we'd be like designing this app and I was like, I'd bring something that I thought was beautiful and he'd be like, but we need the buttons to be red and flashing because he knew that converted. And I was like, oh my gosh. And we had hired this creative director and I was asking him, how am I supposed to design something nice? I was a new to design as well. I had taught myself this to get myself this role. And he sent me this video by John Cleese that said it was all about how creativity, in order to become a professional creative, you had to understand that the limitations were what was guiding your process and realize right. that, you know, if you have free creative spirit everywhere, which is actually why I just overheard somebody talking about, that's why a lot of people who consider themselves artists are those struggling artists because they just want to create whatever they want to create and they're expressing themselves. But the true value comes from when you can actually put that in the confines of what's really valuable and what people want. That's right. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, th I think I think that's where people fool themselves, and and I and I do get it. Like there is something about going out onto a frontier and trying something, but most of those efforts, at least initially, are going to come back as failures, which are, which is great if you can learn from it. But ultimately, if the people who master the frontier 
are people that are out there experimenting, trying things, getting out there, but eventually they come back and they build a system that helps them approach that frontier consistently and are able to execute like a pro. And I think that's the different right, difference is what you're describing is you were, and John Cleese is describing is if you're gonna be a professional creative, then that's gonna require a different set of disciplines than just having clever ideas and being willing to do crazy things. Doing crazy things with discipline, that makes you, again, back to your question initially, it gives you that, that unique superpower that other people look at and go, how does that person do that so consistently? Well, they do it because they practiced. <laughs> they did it because they've found, they've developed a freedom that most people don't access. Right. And you talk about choosing your role. And it reminds me of, I don't know why, like a viral TikTok video is coming to mind, but there were all the, there was this trend that was happening where people were creating these video stories about being the hero of your own life. And yeah. when you really look at that, you do have to sacrifice if you want to create your dream life. You know, like we often think freedom doing whatever we want, like you said before, is waking up and like just Netflixing and chilling, <laughs> Netflixing. <laughs> but like, then how much of your dreams are you actually wasting? You have to define those dreams, define what you want to be and figure out the path to get there. And that's honestly real freedom. Freedom does take that sacrifice and it does take some sort of structure and some sort of plan. And maybe then you get to a point where you have a little bit more flexibility over your days where you can up and travel or whatever it is that you're aspiring to. But what are your, how do you go about defining that role? What's that process look like for you? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I love the way you're describing those TikTok videos. I was years ago, a friend of mine, a guy named uh, Donald Miller, who's written a number of uh, great memoirs and also some great business books, uh, most notably the, a book called uh, Building a Story Brand. And then most recently, he wrote a book called Business Made Simple. Well, what he did personally was he, he was writing one of his Christian mem memoirs. He's a Christian and he was reflecting on narrative and how stories work and especially epic narratives, because it turns out there's not that many real story arcs. They're all pretty, there's only about five or seven ever told, and they just get told in different ways. And, you know, in this way, like Star Wars and Tommy Boy are the same movie. They just have different characters, um, but they both have main characters that have issues with their dads. <laughs> and, and the point is, like, when he looked at these arcs and narratives, he said, well, if that's, if we know how epic stories work out, when the hero goes on their journey and they, they're able to you know, slay the dragon or, you know, overcome some crazy evil. Why couldn't I just build my life that way? Because uh, if we know the component parts, like there's always a hero and the hero can't get there on their own because the problems are too big. So they meet a guide, someone who's been there and done that. And what if, if I want to be a hero, maybe I need to look for a guide who's been there and done that. And maybe they could help give me the clues to get over the, the hurdles to like, they'd give me a plan and they'd call me to action and I would experience unbelievable success, my dreams come true, as opposed to the what seemingly is the inevitable of failure and not getting what I really truly want. And when he looked at that frame, he said, why don't I just build my life that way? And he started this workshop business called uh, Storyline. And uh, he did it for a long time. And then he took that and applied the same principles and helps companies figure that out, where the company can figure out their brand story and they make the customer the hero and they're the guide. And and it's just brilliant. He's helped thousands of companies uh, flourish, but he's also helped thousands of individuals 
reframe their story and just develop a meta consciousness to the arc that they're in and decide, okay, every hero has to come up against a serious problem where it's really unlikely they're going to succeed if it's an epic story. And if that's you and you're having a hard time, I can now reframe the hard time, not as I'm a victim and everything's going to go to pot. Now I can frame it as I'm in the middle of an adventure and I'm actually at this really significant scene where I'm up against really significant challenges. Now, now's the moment where I should be looking for a guide to help me get over these challenges so I can get onto the adventure of this, this heroic journey. And anyone can do this, but it requires some consciousness. It requires some awareness to go, what story am I telling myself? What tapes am I playing in my head? Am I lost in my history? Am I daydreaming about some fantasy in the future without any plan to get there? Or am I present in this adventure going, I want to get after this mighty story. And, uh, and when you just develop that cognitive shift to the present now, and you actually are giving yourself a shot at the life you really want. But most people don't do that. Most people, this is a guy named Anthony DeMello who says, most people wake up, they're born asleep, they grow up asleep, they get married in their sleep, they have babies in their sleep, and they die asleep. They never wake up. But what I'm describing is waking up to the adventure you could be on right now if you were courageous enough to wake up. I love that. And I, it actually reminds me of, I told you I had gone through trauma in my 20s and it just set me in this victim mentality. And part of overcoming that was actually going back through the story I was telling myself and finding a new way to yeah. frame it. But the next challenge became learning how to do that in real time as the challenges were coming. Because, you know, when you're separated right. from it, or it's like, oh, that happened years ago. It becomes easier to do, or at least it did for me. I, I'm sure it depends on what you're going through. But I already had that distance from it. And so now it's like, well, do I want to be a victim in this moment? Or can I overpower this? What is this trying to teach me? And so a lot of my techniques for that is just asking questions about the moment. Like, what is what is this bringing up for me? How can I look at this in a new way? What am I being taught here? What can I learn from this? And just in doing that, that gives me enough of the distance in that moment to like see everything as a learning experience instead of just spiraling into the world is happening to me. And I love what you said about how we're just often living life asleep. I was just watching this really awesome documentary on Gaia. I think I think I was watching Samadhi. I ended up watching a couple, but one of the quotes was was like cattle, most humans live and die in passive subjugation, feeding their lives to the matrix. And so when you start to realize that you know you're always being programmed, whether it's by your experiences or by what you're watching on TV, what allowing yourself to replay in your mind over and over again, our minds are these super complex machines. And we're just programming it. And so if we don't get a little bit more intentional about what we want out of this life, how we're living this life, what we want out of this present moment, we are going to just kind of be feeding the matrix, as that quote said. Yeah. I have a, a colleague. He's older than me. been exposed to him a handful of times. He's this amazing um, psychologist in Seattle, now retired. But uh, he was a, his name is Dan Allender. He was sexually abused when he was a kid. And he now, or then, and when he practiced, was a, he worked with adults who were sexually abused when they were kids. And he helped them 
navigate how they were relating with that trauma. And he had two rules, and the rules are what are interesting, I think, for your listeners. Uh, the rule was, first rule was he would only work with people for one year, uh, and he only had one goal during that one year. So here he had these legitimate victims, right? People who actually were victimized. And no one would second, no one would argue that, you know, children abuse that way. Nobody would second guess. Are they legitimately victims? Yes, they are. It would be a lie to say they weren't. But his goal over the course of the year was to invite these adults to give up their victim status. And if he could walk them through a process where they would give up their victim status, like voluntarily, like not because they have to, not because they should, because they go, I, I know I'll find more freedom in that new story than I will this old one. And they get there, then it's victory. Like he, he, he can do that. If he, But if he couldn't get it done in a year, then they probably were never going to give up that story. And that's okay. No problem. But he's not going to try to force them to do something they don't want to do. And I think that's some of what, as folks that are listening to this and are kind of reflecting on their own experience, uh, if they want to choose their their role in this adventure of their life, they might need some help in the short term to help guide a process where they get really serious about what role are they living into. And it's probably a legitimate role, but maybe it's not the role that's giving them the most life. And maybe some guidance could actually open up a new path forward. So when you are choosing that role and you're kind of reflecting back on on where you need to course correct, which is another one of these kind of yeah. pillars. What's your process for deciding what's working, what's not? Because I know a lot of people just get overwhelmed and then they just blame the whole thing. Working from home is not working for me. you know. So how do yes, you right. figure out like, well, what thing isn't working and where do I need to make a change? I really like thinking about motivation for this question. So hang with me for just a second. But if you think about external motivators and internal motivators. External motivators that life isn't working are things like, I'm not as pretty as I'd like to be, or I'm not affirmed as often, or I don't have as much money or status or like, and again, I don't want to make those things inherently bad in any way. I think there's some of those things are really fun. Uh, but I also think they're external to ourselves. And if I am correcting course to try to achieve an external driver, that's probably not very resourceful. Statistically, people tend to say that they flourish in life when they are driven by internal or intrinsic motivators. So things like being competent, like skilled at a, at a thing, that's an intrinsic motivator. And being skilled at working from home <laughs> is something you, if you practice it, you can, I can pretty much predict you're going to be bad at it at the beginning, but if you persist with it, you will get better. I guarantee you. And as you get better and you learn the skill, you may choose when things open up to go to WeWork or some other co-working space or whatever. And that's a choice. But that's different than the confidence building competence that comes from knowing the skill that you have. Another internal motivator is just being authentic to yourself, noticing that I'm feeling true to me. I'm not just giving into hard things because they're hard. In fact, my most true self persists when it gets hard and then I can make some decisions. Another internal motivator is being in a community where you know you're loved, where people are around you and, and you know they care for you. A good kind of initial question to ask when you're correcting course, I believe, is first of all, what am I going for? What's motivating me? And, and I would first try to correct course towards motivations that are internal 
things like competence, things like authenticity to myself, things like uh, moving towards a community of people who care for me genuinely. And if they're external motivators, I, as much as I could bear it, I'd resist it. I would, I would correct course away from the extrinsic motivators and index towards internal motivators. I really like that, especially because when we're going for those external motivators, even if we consistently reach them, my friend Kelsey Ramsden talks about uh, success hangovers. And she said mm. that she reached mm, these real. huge yeah. levels of success and immediately just felt deflated. It was like this moment yeah. of celebration, but then it's like, what am I working towards? And so you start to realize that it's an unsustainable way to be. But when you start looking at things as, well, what am I developing? And I actually went through that. I was doing the podcast for a while. I've always had a deep passion for this. It's been the most sustainable thing I've ever done in my life. But especially in the beginning of COVID, when there was all of these things that seemed to be happening to me, and I hadn't yet caught yeah. my mindset, I wasn't seeing people. There was all these things that had kept me motivated before that suddenly I was in charge of on my own, combined with doubt and fear and all this stuff. And so what I had to come back to was remembering what would I do? What is my ideal day like? It's talking to people who are successful and who have wisdom that I don't have or that are experiencing parts of life that I have not yet experienced. It's this, like, I love interviewing people that I feel like I'm just absorbing wisdom in different ways. I love even the editing process of reflecting back on that and really grounding it into my own wisdom. All of this is amazing. And so coming back to that made me realize this isn't something I have to do. It goes back to, it's something that I get to do. I created this on my own and I've created my ideal life. And it's so interesting how you can create your ideal life and still your mindset might convince you that something about it's a burden if you don't catch yourself. That's right. Well, the drift is real, right? Like I think we're all human and we all look to external indicators of success. Like, are we doing well? And and we're built to be kind of climbing status ladders, uh, if, if for no other reason, just to survive. Uh, people, if, you know, if if you're a certain height on the status, then you're going to have an easier go in life. And that's not news. But but the trick is to understand that it also isn't where you find the most happiness in life. Uh, the status ladder might help you survive, but it's not going to help you thrive. Thriving comes from and you see this with super performers. Super performers, they tend to not care very much at all about output. They look to output as feedback to see if things are working. But then they get back to their system or their process or their practice. And it's really the practice that if you refine the practice, you can trust you're going to get good results over the course of a lifetime. Your body of work will, will prove itself out. But um, it's usually the mark of, of the young professional or the immature professional that is disproportionately obsessed with external indicators uh, because uh, or you or perhaps it's their first run at success and they're having a great go. But it's not ultimately once that good thing happens, then they're going to feel this pressure to have another success story and another success story. And if they have to reinvent the wheel every single time and they haven't developed an internal skill set to just do good work over and over again, that's what becomes unsustainable and they get really discouraged. But that, that, that success hangover is so real, but it's amazing. People who have a great practice, they hardly ever have hangovers. 
they just have the, the, the habit of getting up and doing good work again and doing good work again. And sometimes that good work yields hits and sometimes that good work yields learning and failure, <laughs> but it's always valuable. And that's where a sustained effort can really get you going. But I think in it, just knowing you correct course because you're human, you're going to go off course. The point isn't to think you never go off course. The point is to be awake enough to notice when you are off course and get back on. That's a good point because I know we humans tend to beat ourselves up whenever we feel like something's going wrong. So right. remembering that it's like the analogy of the missile, the missile isn't just going towards a target. It's actually finding that target by constantly course correcting and realizing when That's it's right. off course. And so when we are creating that process that you talk about in order to play infinite, what does that look like? Is that just our process for the day? Is that a process? What is the process that we're focusing on? Or, or is it business processes? Or all of it. For me, I try to keep things as simple as possible. And I just tend to think in 24-hour windows of life. And this was some of the gift of COVID was it forced everybody into kind of a Groundhog's Day existence that a lot of folks resisted and they found really painful, especially if it was exacerbated with, you know, illness or isolation and loneliness and so forth. But, and I say this with care, but COVID was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, I didn't get sick to be fair. So I don't, again, I'm not commenting on those who really suffered. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that out loud because I know so many did, but I say it because it forced a 24 hour clock that kept resetting and I was conscious to it over and over and over again. And I had an opportunity to decide how I was going to relate with it. And I also, because I was offering this course, you know, whenever you're the teacher, it feels like you kind of feel a different kind of pressure to live out the stuff you're talking about. And this was the gift is I was sharing what I was, had been practicing for a lot of years, but I was doing it in a way that was forced in our culture. And I found that I was getting stronger and more awake with every day that I engaged my 24 hour practice. And now it feels like COVID has kind of begun the end uh, and the new, whatever new is happening. But my process continues and it starts with when I, before I go to bed and then when I wake up and then when I'm doing my work and I have a lull and then my middle day and then my afternoon work and then my end of day and then my evening and then when I go to bed. <laughs> and some might think like that doesn't sound very spontaneous or fun, but it actually, I have plenty of spontaneity and fun into my 24 hour windows. But mostly what I have is I'm doing the things that give me the most amount of life, not just for today, but I'm getting stronger and more awake for all my days in the future. Yeah. I also thrive with that structure. I really think we all do because again, we think we want that freedom of being able to wake up and do whatever we want, but we don't really realize how likely we are to fall into patterns that we didn't necessarily create. And so having that structure is, is bringing just intention to, well, what do I really want out of this life? And that way you're not driven by a moment to moment emotional experience, because that might mean you spend the whole time binging old episodes of sex in the city or whatever, you know? So, That's right. That's so, right. and you find that you've wasted your life consuming rather than creating what's really important to you. So thank you for all of the tips that you brought to us today. We didn't even get a chance to touch on all of them, but you have a free course out there, which we will link to. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your course and what you do, where is the best place for them to connect with you online? Yeah, probably two places. Uh, 
danesanders.com or danesanders at all the social channels. Um, Clubhouse is actually a new one that's kind of fun that I'm, I'm enjoying. But uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all those places. But the organizational stuff that we do when we take these ideas and actually work it into a company culture, all of that work is done at tellmeyourdreamsplural.com. Tellmeyourdreams.com. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 178. So your challenge for this week, if you're working from home, is to be real honest with yourself about how you're structuring it. What is working and what isn't? But I want you to be careful when you're looking at the what isn't working. Because I know from experience that a lot of the things aren't working because I won't allow my mind to open up to a new possibility. So I will be honest, when I first moved to the mountains, I was stoked about it. But then the transition was hard for me. And to be honest, every single time I've moved somewhere, even when it's my dream spot to live, it's difficult for me. But moving from L.A. to a small town in the mountains, it doesn't come without a few perceived sacrifices. And I'm saying perceived because, again, so much of it is about the mindset. For a few weeks, I became so fixated on all of the things that I was missing from my old town that it made it nearly impossible to see all of the beauty around me. Besides, I wasn't even letting myself see the fact that so many of the things I missed in L.A. weren't even available because it was all locked down. Well, thankfully, I have taught myself, trained my brain to see bad moods or negative feelings as a trigger for me to look deeper. Instead of assuming that the world around me is what's wrong, I know that I can somehow remedy this by going inside myself and figure out where this is all coming from. Mindset shifts have changed my life hands down. I have been on both sides of that coin, viewing everything in my life as awful, viewing myself as a victim, to now most often feeling empowered, feeling good, and knowing when I'm in my low moments that I have the tools to get myself out of it. And just that hope, just knowing I have that power, changes everything. So assess where you are, what isn't working, and figure out how much of that is your mindset. Then figure out how many of those things are logistical things that maybe you can just restructure. Maybe you mix up your environment by moving from room to room. Maybe you work on a timer. Maybe you work at a different time during the day because it's when your brain works optimally. And if you need any tips, reach out to me at MindLoveMelissa. If you ask me a question around this one, I will answer it and post it to my story. So hopefully we get a little collective feedback from everyone. And if you need a little help with that positive mindset, don't forget to sign up for the morning mind love. You can sign up right on the homepage of mindlove.com front and center at the top. And sometimes when it's hard to find that brighter perspective on your own, you can use a little help from a friend and what easier way than getting it right in your inbox where you can read it on your own time. Just a few lines of powerful wisdom from your highest self. And if you need even more inspiration, sign up for Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium, where you get extra episodes, monthly meditations, and other bonuses. So as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 